Hi again everyone and welcome to this seventh Sunday after Pentecost uh, or the 11th of July 2021. Today's Gospel reading is from the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 verses 14 to 29 and this week we have the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. Our readings today are, are a complicated group of readings and it's sort of difficult to know where they're going but I suspect that there's something of the reality of an inconvenient truth being communicated to them through the prophets. Uh, the prophets being John the Baptist and certainly Amos in our first reading today. So sit back today, relax and enjoy our sermon. And we say together, Alleluia, Alleluia. May the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ enlighten the eyes of our heart that we might see how great is the hope to which we are called. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark, chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' Jesus's name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers were at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did, what, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please be seated? There are weeks when you, when you look at the readings and after reading through them, um, the first thing you want to do is curl up in a ball and cry. Um, what on earth can you do with a plumb line, a saucy little dance number from an underage girl, 
and a king of questionable morality. But as I I looked at the readings and pondered what I was going to say, I suddenly remembered that there was a landmark movie that came out in 2006. And the movie was called An Inconvenient Truth. You You may have heard of it in which the former US Vice President Al Gore uh, presented a thesis suggesting that global warming is real, potentially catastrophic, and human-caused. So without getting into any debate about the science of global warming, the reality is that if, if, if all this data is correct, and we assume that it is, it most certainly is an inconvenient truth. I use this as one example uh, among many. I suspect there are also inconvenient truths in the fact that we live in a world ravenous for internet pornography, which has seen men, young and old, lose any sense of what it means to be respectful of a woman. That the convenience of McDonald's Happy Meals and video games is having an effect on childhood obesity. That longer working hours are having effects on the health of individuals and families. So in the light of this notion of inconvenient truth and just as something to ponder, ask yourselves a couple of questions and I do realise that I'm speculating and this is um, me speculating about things that have happened in the past. It was interesting and the question is, why did church numbers suddenly go up at the onset of the GFC? I know that they did when I was at Mount Gravatt and I know other parishes in the diocese reporting similar trends. Where were those people prior to the GFC? Is the other question we have to consider. And my suspicion is that, and this is seen in our readings, people don't like to have their world rocked with negativity, particularly when everything is just going swimmingly. But what's that got to do with my question as to the link between a plumb line, a saucy little dance number from an underage girl and a king of questionable morality? Well, in some respects, what I've described above is a dance that we see regularly in our world. It's probably not something that we would see on Dancing with the Stars, but it's worth, it's nonetheless a little bit saucy and enticing, which intertwines aspects of humanity's sense of ethics. The only question I would ask is who's actually leading that dance? So to see what I'm talking about, let's consider a bit of history. Firstly, the prophet Amos appeared during the long and peaceful reign of Jeroboam II, so that was 788 to 747 BC. And in this period, Israel attained a height of territorial expansion and national prosperity never again reached. At the same time, this prosperity led to gross iniquities between urban elites and the poor. Through manipulation of debt and credit, wealthy landowners amassed capital and estates at the expense of small farmers. The smallest debt served as the thin end of the wedge that lenders could use to separate farmers from their farms and personal liberty. I suspect that we can see why the hierarchy in this situation were a little unimpressed with Amos saying, look, I know that life is great, but your king is going to be put to the sword and you're all going to go into exile. I suspect Amos didn't read How to Win Friends and Influence People. But we can see that dance happening there. 
we can see the inconvenience that we are confronted with here in knowing that the situation some two and a half thousand years ago is a situation that we still face today. So I'm not sure that the plumb line was and is sitting very upright. But also consider Herod Antipas. He basically lived in a world where, for him at least, life was pretty luxurious. It was pretty much an anything-goes sort of life. He was wealthy, he was politically connected, and lived a life of sordid intrigue. He was a tetrarch of Galilee and Perea from 4 BC to about 39 AD. So his first wife um, was the daughter of Aratas, uh, the king of the Nabataeans in Petra, uh, the same one whose commander was trying to catch Paul, uh, according to 2 Corinthians 11. And while staying with his half-brother, who was also called Herod, um, clearly some sort of family name, the latter married her, divorcing his first wife, the daughter of Aratas, and he's the same man who's enticed by the dance of an underage girl. Looking at this, we can see it happening again. It's scandalous, it's shabby, and it's shameful, and yet we get the sense that this was just a bit inconvenient when it was pointed out. After all, the life of a tetrarch probably wasn't too bad, comparatively speaking. But what can we take from this? This is what our readings are saying today. What can we take from this? What significance does this hold for Christian mission? I suspect in the end, the significance for us comes in the prophetic voices that we find in both passages in their challenge to the status quo, to the authority of to the day, to the way things that people accepted, this is the way we do things. Why? Because the Christian perception of mission and authority is very different to that of our popular culture. It's not a question of challenging for challenging's sake. Rather, it's a question of observing and responding. That is, we respond to the needs of others. We respond to injustice. We respond in a way that says we are a resurrection people. That is, we choose lives that through Christ have been brought to new life. We choose lives that through Christ are lived in the Spirit and proclaim the victory of God, saying boldly that Jesus is Lord and mammon is not. We choose lives that through Christ see the tyrant's ultimate power made powerless. And we choose lives that speak of God's peace and justice rather than the world's notional understandings of peace and justice. The question is always, how do we do it? And I think that the answer is one that uh, precedes and informs our observations and responses. It's one of intent and focus, an intent and focus which we see laid out in our reading from Ephesians. This is important not only for the world but also for us, particularly as we start to look at our own vision for the future, which we discussed a couple of months ago. As we start that process again, these ideas are important for us to be considering. And the reason for it's important is that it's here that we find our plumb line as part of the hope that we bear, recognising that 
that all we do as a resurrection people must be grounded in God. And the reason is, as it says in Ephesians, that he destined us for adoption as children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in, his, in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things, according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to uh, set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him also, in him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That brings our podcast to an end for this week. If there's anything more you'd like to know about the parish, you can always check us out at our website, which is www.eastredlandanglican.com.au. You'll be able to find lots of links there to our Facebook page, to our Vimeo and YouTube channels, and to our Apple Podcast channel. You'll be able to go through the website there and find out any other information you want to know about our service times or baptisms and confirmations and things like that. Um, So check us out there, um, have a look, and if there's anything you need, please don't hesitate to send us an email or give us a call. Um, And we look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless.